Welcome to Fintech Daydreaming. The podcast that dives into the world of banking technologies and the ever-changing landscape of fintech companies. We bring you real-life examples from global and local thought leaders, as well as experts working within the financial industry, and seek out the best stories from the front lines of financial services innovation, where dreams of industry pioneers meet reality. Hosted by Paul Krogdahl and Ville Sontu. This is Fintech Daydreaming. Welcome back, dear listeners, to another fantastic episode of Fintech Daydreaming. As you can see, we are again in the studio, and that's because we're here with Fintech Farm to do another episode of our Nordic Fintech Highlights, the episodes that are done in partnership between Fintech Daydreaming and Fintech Farm, looking at what is hot, what is cool, what's interesting, and what's exciting in the world of Fintech in the Nordic region. So, Jana, what is hot, cool, exciting, and interesting for the October month? Well, surprisingly, a trending area of fintech is payments. Okay, yeah. Wow, but <laughs> what a surprise! Payments! Yeah, there's yeah. been quite many things obviously happening in that area, um, but there are also other things such as uh, impact, accounting tech, and a uh, few other topics. Um, but yeah, generally, if we look at how the market is uh, acting at the moment, I was a bit worried at some point that is it going to be so that uh, all the investments are going to the scale-up companies and only the strongest will survive. But now, last month, we actually saw quite a few um, very early stage seed, pre-seed uh, investment rounds in, in you know, financial management, softwares, uh, climate and impact fintech. So there's clearly also uh, room for new, new innovations. And then the biggest, biggest funding round of the month was Bright Payments. They raised 60, 60 million US dollars. So they're doing account-to-account payments uh, in, in the Europe. Pretty mm. impressive, only a uh, four-year-old company and already working in 25 markets. So uh, yeah, payments, payments are leading the way. Payments, I mean, last episode that we did, the focus that you pointed towards was investments. Yeah. But there have been a lots of investments during September. Yeah. And now in October, there's still some investments, but the it's pivoted a little bit back more towards payments again, you're saying? Yeah. 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 But um, yeah, payments was the, was the biggest area, but there also also some fraction in the other fields. Uh, otherwise, quite interesting was that the biometric companies were quite active in, in signing new deals. So mm -hmm. companies who are, who are making, uh, for instance, payment cards which has a fingerprint scanner yeah. and personally I'm not really like sure like why would I need one of those because I already have the scanner in my my phone what about you guys yeah no I already yeah. have it in my phone yeah, yeah. Same thing. There is a niche there, however, because, for example, the Digital Euro project wants to issue cards. Yeah. So these cards are mainly aimed at people who don't have access to smartphones or bio devices with biometric readers. So maybe there is an element of, of this kind of underbanked or under-digitally served uh, population that might be benefiting from those, those types of solutions. But yeah, so this idea of a fingerprint scanner on a card has been around for like 10 years at least, mm -hmm. but uh, it has never reached scale. But let's see. So I've, I've got two more following questions just looking generically at what's happened during October. I was expecting AI, generative AI, to, to sort of explode out and continue growing. But you're saying that in the Nordics what we're seeing still is a predominant growth in payments rather than AI. 
Yeah, well, everyone is talking about AI, obviously, yeah. and, and I think Klarna is every month in the news about, you know, investing in AI, exploring AI, getting their employees to use AI, um, and that's, that's something that is happening. Um, but AI-wise, we don't have, like, that many purely AI-focused uh, fintech companies in the Nordics yet that would be would be uh, booming that much. Obviously, last month we talked about AlphaSense, but but otherwise, I I don't see that the the crazy boom which is going on in the U.S. We don't have that in the Nordics or in the fintech yet. But I think it's a matter of time. When just a matter of yeah. time. Yeah. So you mentioned U.S. there. So I, I just came back from Money 2020 in Vegas, and obviously, generative AI and AI in general was. Uh, like I'd, I'd say maybe half of all the sessions and half of all the vendors that was all they were talking about but the uh, the hype has reached a point in the US right now in fintech uh, the generative AI uh, element of, of the fintech conversation has reached a point where a lot of these companies have actually already experimented with generative AI and they're coming to a realization that uh, well it's it's never what it actually hyped up to be, but since they have experimented, now they're coming up with these new uh, kind of real tangible use cases for generative AI. But the, uh, the problem with those use cases is that everything I observed was they're quite boring actually. So they're kind of mid office, back office, data cleaning, synthetic data, uh, fraud detection, all these kind of uh, assistive tools to kind of these boring banking operations yes. more or less. So there's not going to be like a boom of uh, now we have a chatbot that knows everything for, about financial services uh, to serve you, at least not yet. But uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely a big trend still. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, you guys know that I did work for IBM, right? It was actually officially my last day today, so I'm unemployed after we finish uh, this uh, <laughs> this episode. But, you know, within sort of IBM, they've done an awful lot around generative AI. And I agree with you completely. A lot of the use cases that are coming out as being strong use cases around generative AI, IBM, we're talking Watson, is very much around back office, back office support. Uh, but the other thing that IBM has put an awful lot of effort into is code conversion. So, you know, modernization of COBOL code to Java or something else using AI capabilities, and I think that's another space we're going to see a growth of this is, you know, helping around the coding and the modernization of existing legacy systems, etc. Yeah, but this co-pilot development is a very important case, not only for code conversion, but also uh, coding in general. But the very important element, especially in financial services there, is that you do need the person who actually knows what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and only use it as an assistant. So it's, I think it's, we're fooling ourselves if we're thinking that the AI will do the development and we can just put it into production directly. So there's going to be always this co-pilot element. That yes, AI at. is not going to take our jobs. No. But the other element that I wanted to pick up on very quickly, because, I mean, you work in payments. You sit right in the middle of payments, digital wallets, admittedly not focused that much on the Nordics, more on emerging yet. markets yet. But what do you feel about this this continued growth of payments focus in the Nordics. I, I thought we we had that ticked off. I mean, instant payment, okay, P27, <laughs> but, you know, instant payments, everything else, we're quite advanced. Is there, aren't we reaching saturation? We're going to be talking about instant payments in the Nordics uh, in one of the topics where we, I picked up for the, uh, for the discussion later, but the, uh, the fact that payments continues to be a topic is because we still lack cross-border interoperability, we lack interoperability between the schemes. So technically, if everybody downloads the same application, you can do instant payments today, person to person, 24-7, 365. But as, as soon as you're on another network, uh, it doesn't work. 
Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that I work in emerging markets, uh, so in, in mobile money deployments, for example, in Africa, where, um, where everybody uses mobile money. This has been the trend there for more than more than a decade now, and uh, still there are only a few countries that actually have reached interoperability, even though everybody has a mobile mobile money account on their phones. And uh, typically, when we do see interoperability, it's driven by regulation and uh, government infrastructure kind of stepping in to kind of bridge this gap uh, between competing entities to actually reach this interoperability. The problem is that interoperability is not a use case; it's not a business case for anybody at least in the short term. In the long term it always will be, but it's very difficult to justify those investments in the short term. That actually lines us up very nicely to talking about some of the specific you know, news elements uh, from the October month that we've all picked out. Um, I'll, I'll start with, with mine, back to what you were saying about, about payments and growth and you know, uh, regulators, etc. The, the one that I picked up on in, in your newsletter yeah. was around tier to every banking. Uh, now tier to every banking have partnered with the Maldives Monetary Authority to set up a uh, instant payment system for the Maldives that they're calling Favara. Now, this to me is, you know, back to what you're saying, I think it's, it's fantastically interesting. One, it's, it's driving instant payments. It is working towards, you know, bringing on the, you know, financial inclusion in the region. It, it sets them up for you know, streamlining domestic payments. It sets them up to start driving cross-border transactions. And, and it's being driven by you know, the authorities in, in the country, which is fantastic. The, the other thing that I think is great is obviously when we talk about fintech, we tend to only focus on the startups. Yeah. And, and we almost forget that there are successful financial technology companies that have been around for, for, for some time. I mean, Tieto Every Banking, in fact, I believe you even used to work for Tieto at some point in your, your past. Tieto Every Banking, we, we should also promote what they are doing. They are a good fintech, they are doing some good stuff, and they are recognized almost globally as a leader in payments. Yeah, so they're actually one of the biggest payment companies in, in the world. In, exactly. In, in certain certain extent, yeah. So, so I think I think from my perspective, this was a, a great win for them, and I think a, a an interesting uh, success story. I mean, what what do you think? You again in payments? What's well, first of all, congrats to Tieto Every for picking up a place like Maldives. Uh, yeah, I, I think, agree. I we should have actually been there for yeah. some sort of project. Yeah, yeah. So I think they had some really really interesting workshops in the Maldives uh, uh, coming up to this this deal. Uh, but in all seriousness, again, uh, this is a trend that we're seeing almost like globally and I th we can always refer back to what is the biggest success story for instant payments on a national level and that's the India stack of course. Yeah. So the, uh, in India they built this national infrastructure uh, for P2P account-to-account -account payments uh, then they linked that with the identity infrastructure that they have uh, in India and that model basically wiped away the, the onboarding problem uh, and the settlement problem between uh, schemes because that became a commodity provided by the government. That has uh, caused an explosion in fintech and financial inclusion in India and I think that's those two elements, basically having the payment rails available uh, and having the digital identity available are kind of these catalysts uh, for, for fintechs in any country or region. And uh, Maldives is a so uh, seems to be following that same trend. So uh, I, actually, I don't remember whether the Maldives had a digital identity scheme on the, on the side of that, but the uh, uh, the this element of uh, solving this uh, 
person-to-person -person payment uh, or instant payment uh, infrastructure problem by the government uh, or publicly funded uh, element of uh, doing yeah. that is, uh, is a, sign, a sign that this model is going to be picking up. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the usual things that I say when anybody asks about what are, what are the kind of trends in the ne next five years, I always mention that it is basically shared public infrastructure for payments and identity that will be paving the way for uh, a lot of things uh, moving forward globally, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for a lot of financial institutions, payments and cards is, is not a unique value proposition and it's just a, a cost. Yes. Right. Yeah. So public infrastructure helps in, in that direction. So, yeah. What do you think about the, the news? Yeah, very interesting case. And I've been thinking that uh, in order to implement something like that, Maldives actually could be like a quite an optimal market because it's it's not too big. Um, I don't know what's the, the legacy and, and the former policy around that, but I think that's, that's maybe a market that kind of that you could actually implement it. If you want to do something similar in the you know, European scale, then you have hundreds of millions of people and uh, different standards and legacy systems and, and a huge fight. So, so it's really cool that they have succeeded, succeeded there and, and it would, it's interesting to see in the future if they can also, also implement it in, in bigger scale. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I, I checked for but I couldn't find was I mean, Maldives has got a huge amount of tourism. Yeah. Right? So how are they going to support the tourists yeah. in this infrastructure, right? Is it going to be a case of you land at the airport, download an app and off you go? Or do you have to do KYC? Suddenly, you know, you need to have a Maldives uh, driving license and you're locked out of the payment system in the Maldives as a tourist and, and stuck, right? So interesting dynamic there. But what news item did you pick out? Actually, on a related topic, yep. so partly related, because the, the Bank of Finland, so the Central Bank of Finland, a part of the Euro system uh, under the ECB, but still the, the National Central Bank of, of Finland, they came out uh, on October the 18th uh, basically saying two main things. Mm -hmm. one, number one, their full support for the Digital Euro project, which is now being launched by the ECB, so they, re they reached at the end of the uh, research phase of the, uh, of the Digital Euro, and now they're moving into uh, an implementation and testing phase. Mm -hmm. And they always want to emphasize, by the way, that none of this is still a decision to actually launch the Digital Euro. So they always want to emphasize that they will make that decision once they reach the point where they have uh, locked down uh, the entire system, and then they might decide not to even launch it. But okay. anyway, so that's a very clear point that they wanted to make. So the, uh, this kind of statement from the Bank of Finland was really all about, again, supporting the digital euro, creating kind of narrative around why is the digital euro being launched and why it's important, why Bank of Finland thinks it's important. Uh, but the other part of the news was also interesting, and that was the, uh, uh, the, the fact that Bank of Finland supports uh, same as Maldives instant payment rails in Finland. So again, uh, solving the problem of interoperability for uh, instant person-to-person -person payments, typically with mobile origi originated payments, uh, not necessarily mobile terminated, but mobile originated payments, uh, and the, uh, uh, with the national infrastructure where uh, that's available 24-7, 365. And uh, kind of interesting thing, I actually read the paper uh, they, they released. The paper was already released in August uh, 23, uh, a few months ago. 
but I read the paper this morning and it was <laughs> funny, funny uh, I noticed because uh, what the Bank of Finland had done with the paper, as they should, they work with the European Payments Council uh, on the best practice models on, on what uh, would a scheme like that look like. Mm. Um, and I was reading the paper and then I saw an image there which was kind of very familiar looking to me. So then I, this is way too familiar, so then I, did, I realized, ha, huh, in 2010, again, I was actually working for Tieto back then, so Tieto every these days, and uh, I was working with Mobi Forum uh, on a white paper uh, about mobile remote payments. Now, this was, uh, was a group of people, uh, many many EPC members there, some people from SWIFT and different banks around the Europe. Uh, we authored this white paper, it's like 120 pages or something, and we re released it in 2010, and it was talking about these uh, oper operational models for instant payment schemes and what they could look like. Back then we didn't have anything, uh, so we were basically just kind of saying that this is what the ecosystem could look like. We drew up some images in there, and I kid you not, the image on the Bank of Finland paper was the exact same image that we had there in 2010. They didn't even bother change the icons, so <laughs> it was the exact same thing. So uh, all the kind of referencing aside, I think it's a wonderful thing that uh, st stuff that we were working on, discussing about already in 2010, is not reinvented. Mm -hmm. So those models work. Uh, it's just about implementing them and finding consensus in the industry that this is actually going to be a, uh, uh, the way to build these schemes. So again, a happy coincidence this morning and, uh, uh, and another uh, example of this national infrastructure solving maybe some problems here, even here in, uh, in Finland. Yeah, I, 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 uh, I was secretly watching the, uh, the discussion that you kicked off on LinkedIn <laughs> with all the comments coming onto it. So yeah. yes, I saw that. Yeah. What do you think about, uh, about this news? Yeah, actually, one thing you already brought up uh, is, is that um, they seem to have clear plans on how, how to proceed and implement it. But then the decision, are they actually going to make it, is, is what I think is, is actually the biggest thing, because I believe there will be still a huge fight, a lot of lobbying from the private banks that is this going to ever happen. And uh, I'm looking forward to see, see that phase of, of the discussion as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to have, have plans and, and, and initiatives to, to use technology, but, but yeah, the political side uh, between the discussion between the central bank authorities and the private banks that's that's something we will still yeah so to so to be clear you're referring to the digital euro part yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah. so uh, so setting the instant payments aside yeah. for a moment yeah uh yes i agree so the the digital euro project uh has been again has reached its uh, end of the two-year cycle for the uh, research phase the european central bank has published all the papers so uh, for anybody out there who might be thinking that there's some kind of conspiracy theory going around the, uh, the digital euro, no, you can go to the ECB website and you will find every single document that they have produced, including the full design of the digital euro, uh, and you can study those papers and see how exactly it's going to work, if it's going to be launched. But uh, like you said, uh, there's going to be a big political debate because the, uh, the digital euro, of course, the, the uh, commission is now proposing uh, uh, to the parliament uh, to give the European Central Bank the right to launch it. And this is going to go through all the national legislation uh, and each country will have to decide individually uh, whether or not they're going to vote this in. And as we know, with all political processes, this might get yeah. derailed in so yeah. many ways. Uh, but the uh, 
the intent of the European Central Bank seems to be quite clear. Even though they, when they say that uh, there is no decision made, they're making it very clear that uh, uh, this is inevitable. So we're going to do this in one way or the other anyway, so you might as well get prepared uh, for, for launching that. So when you talk to people at the European Central Bank, that consensus is very coming out very clearly, including with people with Bank of Finland. Yeah. But I, th I think at the risk of derailing us and ending up down a, a soggy, wet rabbit hole here for a minute, <laughs> I mean, you and I have lots of discussions around central bank digital currencies. We've had that ever since the notions came along. And, and before that, we were joyfully discussing the world of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and, and all of those fantastic things that I absolutely despise. But central bank digital currencies, I, I support. I like the idea of it. I think there is value there. I can also understand why the general society if I can put it that way, are panicking. I think partially because we're living in a, a world of social media spreading false news. Uh, there are social influencers and, and non-influential people that are creating an awful lot of miscommunication around central bank digital currencies and everything yeah. else. I mean, there's discussions around all of your money will end up being central bank digital currency. It will expire. You must spend it. This is controlled by the government, etc., yeah. etc. I, I think it's critical for us to continue to understand the notion that cash isn't going away. Um, private money, which is the money that you have in your bank account, is not going away. What we're basically getting is a third representation of money. And these three worlds would coexist. Mm -hmm. And I think... It might actually be worth, even though we're moving off slightly, if, if you, you can, just take a, a minute to think about you know, explaining how you feel these three, because you've been closely working with this, how these three different varieties of, of money are going to coexist, and, and potentially what you know, Finland might be thinking about this going forwards. And for the individuals out there, what might this look like? What might this mean? Yes. So I'm going to speak from the perspective of the digital euro. So again, mm. there's many central bank digital currency projects all around the world. They have different purposes and they have different goals uh, in different parts of the world. But from the perspective of, of the ECB and uh, the digital euro, the, uh, they are ma they've made their intents uh, very clear. So as you said, today we have cash and we have private bank money. Uh, the problem with cash is that obviously you cannot use cash online. So the central bank is saying that it is only fair that we offer a central bank liability also on the, in the online world. Uh, so again, uh, private, private bank money or the retail bank money that we have today is the liability of the retail bank. It's not the liability towards the central bank. So central bank feels that there needs to be this alternative. The other thing that the central banks, uh, the ECB is always making very clear is that cash is not going away. Physical cash will always be there. Uh, this will be at best a complementary solution to, the, uh, to physical cash and they will continue to support physical cash, uh, well, until further notice, I would say. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, uh, and that, that's, this is not to replace cash in any, any shape or form. And uh, the, the private sector, of course, 
I mean, they have legitimate concerns about this because what you're ultimately doing is you're replicating the same kind of uh, value proposition that's already existing in the private sector. We already have cards. We already have instant yeah. payments. We already have ways of doing everything that the digital euro is going to do as well. Uh, and they're, they're asking the question, why do we need this digital yeah, euro? Exactly. Uh, because from a consumer standpoint, there really is no difference. Yeah. The only thing, it's, it's just another pocket where you move uh, digital value. And yes, it happens to be a central bank liability, but what does that even mean for me? Ultimately, not that much. Yeah, especially, exactly. especially because the, uh, the uh, ECB has made it very clear that the holding limits for uh, the digital euro will be very low, so mm -hmm. comparatively low. So you cannot have like hundreds of thousands of euros in your, in your digital euro balance. It, it, it's meant to be like a temporary storage. So, and they're also disincentivizing people to actually keep uh, a kind of a balance or a balance on the digital euro account for a long time. And on top of that, they are kind of also outscoping corporate payments. So there's not going to be a, a, a business to business payment ever with a digital euro, uh, at least not on a, from a formal basis. And even the merchants that accept the digital euro are not allowed to hold it. So what actually happens is that when you pay with the digital euro, the merchant uh, automatically gets converted into private bank money uh, on the back end of that. So the merchant limits are zero for the digital euro. All of these mechanisms to make sure that the, uh, the, the stability of the financial system remains, there is a, a one euro in your uh, bank account is going to be the exact same euro on the, yeah. on the ECB uh, wallet. Uh, so that balance will never shift. It's going to be one to one always. And you actually made a, a, a critical comment there that I think a lot of people have misunderstood because th there is a notion that there's one or the other. But the truth is that you can move, right? Yes. Central bank currency can very easily become private bank money it's and, and vice versa. It's and completely so you, seamless. It's, yes, it's yeah. completely seamless. So, so they have uh, they've de developed this, and I, I encourage everybody who's interested to actually go to the ECB website and, and look at these models, but they have uh, developed what they call a waterfall model, model and a reverse waterfall model. So that means that even though your holding limit for the digital euro might be, let's say, some thousands of euros, you are able to pay for your car uh, with the digital euro if you want. What happens in the background is that the, it kind of it does this top up automatic top up from your from your account and then it kind of flows back uh, from the okay. digital euro into the private bank account it just kind of takes this extra leap yeah. from the digital euro small balance that you have uh, but again like you mentioned it's going to be seamless so you won't uh, if you set it up the way you want to set it up uh, it's going to be flowing seamless the only exception and I will end here uh, is the uh, offline payment feature which they're also including in the digital euro which is kind of interesting there's a very smaller amount of money that you can actually load to an offline balance uh, of the digital euro, but that you actually have to do manually. So there's never going to be an automatic offline, online offline conversion. You have to do that manually. Uh, then you can do uh, basically an, uh, anonymous or private payments between offline wallets of the digital euro, but ultimately that will still flow back to online. Uh, at one point in time. That is the equivalent of using like an ATM today. So you go to an ATM, you put in your card, you get the cash. The, nobody's able to follow how the cash then moves, moves around, but ultimately when you deposit back, then you also identify yourself. And because of these things, the, the limits are extremely low. They're also monitoring that you cannot have like a forever chain of things. So you can't have like a thousand hops. You actually have to go online uh, at, at certain intervals.
What do you think about central bank digital currencies? Are you pro or not? I'm not really. I, I don't have a clear opinion yet, but but I I can clearly see that a lot of normal consumers are lacking information. They don't know that the the big idea is how the money works between central banks and private banks, and it doesn't really like make a difference for consumers. Yeah. And people who have a little bit of a tinfoil hat tendency, it's a really uh, juicy topic to 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 you know hit up with that. Hey, they are creating this because they want to monitor our our spending or everything. So so I think that um, yeah. We, we should, or, or the central bank should communicate this clearly to people, like what is what is the idea behind this. But uh, personally, I'm, I'm I don't have a really like a, a, a strong very, point yeah, of view. Strong point of view. Yeah. Yeah. How, how should it work? There's one more point that I, I want to make, which is that the people talk about well, what if people don't use the digital euro? Well, actually, the the ECB and the Bank of Finland, they don't want people to use it too much. I mean, they actually, um, they, they were going to launch it. It's going to be an option for people to use. But if, if, if it's ultimately just a, a minority of people using it, they don't care. It's an option. It's a counterbalance to the private solutions out there. So uh, again, the point is not to make the digital euro like the dominant payment method mm -hmm. uh, across, the, uh, across Europe. It, it really is a complementary solution to, to the existing one. And if it doesn't pick up, that's fine as well. I'll actually bring another dynamic to this discussion, which I'm sure most of the general listeners or general population in EU are probably not aware of, um, because we discussed this, I think it must be about a month or two back. There is a policy in the EU around expenditure of cash, and it's actually illegal already in certain countries, and it's going to become spreading across more countries, to execute cash transactions of too high a value. Mm. So I think, I think in, in Finland, they've, they've, I'm not sure if they've already implemented it in Finland, but in some countries, a cash transaction over, I think it's 3,000 euros, is actually illegal, right? So, so everybody is talking about you know, the control and everything else. Well, even with cash, there are certain you know, limitations and regulations that um, should be followed. Now, whether you follow them or not, I mean, who's going to know? But it's, it's, it's still, it's there. I mean, go and Google it, look it up. Apparently, you can go to jail if you make a cash transaction which is too high. <laughs> That's uh, an interesting uh, notion for going to jail, right? So, what was your news article? Yeah, so um, I picked a few news about new banks entering the market. So now I'm talking about fintech banks. Yeah. Uh, as we know, we have seen in the Nordics uh, quite a few fintech companies getting a banking license. Aprila in Norway, Lunar, Denmark, uh, Klarna from Sweden. Yeah. Um, and now the latest, latest one from Sweden was, was Cred, uh, focused on, on business lending. They, they got their banking license in the spring, now they activated it. Um, obviously, banking license gives you a lot of new opportunities, but also uh, awful lot of responsibilities. Yeah. Um, in Finland, we actually now got from the latest, latest uh, report from Alisa Bank that, you know, they are struggling a bit to, to maintain the, the balance sheet and uh, all the requirements on that side. Uh, but generally from Finland, we have not seen uh, new banking licenses being granted by the FSA, uh, never in the fintech era actually. No. Um, but what has happened, uh, there's a Finnish fintech company called Saldo. They 
uh, got the banking license from Lithuania. Lithuania has been very active in this field, especially after Brexit. They've been promoting that, hey, uh, you want to work in the, in the EU market, get your fintech business here, get an easy banking license or EMI license, special to the British companies. Uh, and that's been quite, a, well, there's been a lot of happening or, or new companies entering uh, or establishing in Lithuania. And that's what Saldo also did. They went to Lithuania, uh, got the license, and now they passported it back to Finland, and now they're operating in Finland. And I think the funny question, or, or the question here is that, um, who's winning here? Like, uh, they, they obviously have the branch and most of the jobs in Lithuania, but then they still come to the Finnish market and, and you know, what's the uh, risk versus benefit for the, for the nation? Uh, for Lithuania or Finland, what yeah. do you think? I, I, I see two elements to this, and I think it's not just in the Nordics, I think it's global. I yeah. mean, we're seeing a, a expanded growth of neobanks. They're yeah. like mushrooms, they're, they're popping up all over the place, right? Yeah. Some of them are going for full banking license, some are going for an e-money license, some of them are on that journey. I mean, Revolut did that journey, and I think Revolut as well is, they're not licensed in Finland, they operate in Finland, but they're, yeah. again, they're licensed in Lithuania. Yeah. But we're also seeing a lot of neobanks starting to collapse, yeah. right? So I, I think we are at an interesting infliction point where how much are people going to trust the new kids on the block? How much are they going to trust their money into these things? Um, and, and therefore, maybe we'll see a resurgence back towards the traditional banks. You know, in Finland, I can imagine, yes, probably a lot of people are going to try it. They might you know, have Revolut accounts, but I guarantee you that most people have their salaries paid into a Nordea account or an Olpe account or a uh, Sastopanki or whatever the yeah. case may be here in Finland. Uh, and then they'll move some money to, yeah. to a neo bank to play with, to, to check out the new capabilities and services and lounge access or whatever the case may yeah. be. But I, I do worry that we're seeing a proliferation of neobanks and therefore we're going to start seeing a fundamental growth of mergers and acquisitions uh, and, and collapses of these neobanks. That's my view. I mean, what about you? Well, you made the an, uh, analogy to mushrooms, right? So <laughs> the, the shelf life of a mushroom is, uh, uh, well, fairly short. Some Unless of the, you dry it out. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So <laughs> some of them actually make you hallucinate as well. So yes. that's another, another story. But let's not get down into that rabbit hole. The, um, uh, again, Finland seems to be a little bit late on this trend. So if we look yeah. at what happened in the UK, this has already been happening for the past 10 years with the Revolut, the Monzos, uh, Starlings, uh, and all these kind of fintech darlings that uh, everybody uh, talks about all the time. But at the back of that, if you look at the statistics in Europe or even globally for digital banks, especially when it's retail-focused banks like, uh, like Revolut and others, uh, they don't tend to do well. And, no, and, the, and the problem is exactly that. So when they launch with a simple debit card uh, solution, you might have a very fancy app and a checking account there with a very limited set of services. People want, might move money in there uh, for just to try it out, but ultimately payment is a payment. Card is a card. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you get some fancy features on the, on the kind of your personal finance management and all of those things, but they they're don't tend to be enough for people to switch over to use in daily use. Some of the banks like Revolut have then started attaching like a million things on top of it, and that yeah. actually is uh, attractive uh, 
a value proposition for many people who are in this space. So I, I personally use Revolut a lot. I, I use it on my daily payments. It's not my salary account. It never will be. But I, I constantly move money back and forth from Revolut, and I use it every day, mainly because it has so such a versatile set of features that I, I, I can use uh, on, on almost like a daily basis. But most people are not like us. Most people yeah. don't actually do these things, so they're happy with one bank, and I, that's why they're struggling. The count counterpoint to that actually is that uh, especially the banks that are, are focusing on a certain segments. So we have already talked about many times in the podcast how the, uh, especially the SME segment uh, is very underserved when it comes to digital financial services. The SME services provided by the incumbent banks are at best horrible, uh, to be honest. And there is a niche there. So if you're able to find a value proposition for an underserved segment like the SMEs and do that well, then you might be onto something because especially in the market the size of Finland, the uh, the retail proposition is is very very difficult to uh, to make profitable. Yes, no, I agree, and there's already enough banks yeah. to a certain degree in in Finland as well. But you're right, the SME space is is very interesting. But I also think a lot of people get excited about the new value propositions that the Revoluts etc are bringing them but they don't actually realize that a lot of their traditional banks have some of those capabilities mm -hmm. and offerings already. It's just that the traditional banks are maybe not as good as advertising yeah. them or making them available as, as the Revoluts, uh, etc. And then, yes, I admit, and we've had this discussion before, banks very often are slow by design rather than anything else, and therefore it takes them some time to bring out new features. But at the same time, very often I see banks, traditional banks, bringing out new features because it's a, it's a FOMO, yeah. right? They bring out a new feature because the, the neobanks have brought it out, but they haven't thought about the value proposition and the reason for bringing it out, which means that even though they bring out those new features, it's feature function, it has no business value behind it, and therefore the customers don't get excited anyway. You gonna open up an account? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, I know Lunar is now going to, to come to Finland with a, with a bit, uh, Bigger plan. Yes. Uh, it's it's interesting to see like what's what's their strategy. Are they going to passport? Because the passporting thing is is kind of um, when we talk about the internet era. So who's going to stop me from using a foreign bank which is not licensed in Finland? Are they going to block it on the internet or what? Yeah. So yeah. I think the only thing that will stop you is KYC. Yeah. Right. So. Um, but fantastic. Some some interesting news articles. Any any last thoughts from you around? the trends you've seen and what you maybe predict for uh, November? Well, I think it's it's not too many surprises. Like I said, uh, seems that, you know, the traditional fields are, are quite, uh, you know, going strong. Also to mention a few things. So we also see, so um, Icano Bank and and uh, Actia Bank investing in new technology. So uh, Temenos Payment Hub for Actia and uh, I kind of in investing also also to some some cloud features, mm. um, but yeah, I think that's it. Would you like to hear a joke? I've, I was just getting to that. <laughs> I was getting to the you roundup the of, of, the, uh, <laughs> of the episode and saying that we've done all the serious stuff and now time time for for some light-hearted entertainment. So yes, as our honorary joke master for for these uh, episodes, what's your joke? Okay, um, why did a wine grape quit? its job at Deposit Solutions? No idea. It didn't want to become raisin yet. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah. You dry dog with the rub mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> you did give us a fair warning that it's going to be a bad pun, but yeah, I actually enjoyed that, so thank you. <laughs> that was wonderful. Thank you very much. Excellent. Um, thank you, everybody, for having joined us on this episode of the Nordic FinTech Highlights. The newsletter has been sent out. Uh, you can subscribe to the newsletter from FinTech Farm in the link that you'll find below. If uh, anyone wants to know anything more about FinTech Farm, what you guys yeah. are doing, and or the newsletter, how can they find you? How can they reach you? Yeah, they can find us at helsinkifintech.fi. And also, if you're a foreign listener coming to Helsinki for Slush, so we also have a FinTech side event. You can find it on the, on the Slush platform. So highly recommend to, to apply for that one. And we'll be there as well, right? Absolutely. We're yes. going to be there as well. So we'll see you all there. Until the next time, uh, please hit the subscribe button, hit the bell, uh, share this episode. If you've enjoyed what we've talked about, if you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please share it with your friends, colleagues, or anyone else that you think might uh, like FinTech Daydreaming. The more people listen to us, the more we get excited about doing more. So uh, keep the feedback and the comments coming. Until next time, this has been FinTech Daydreaming. This is FinTech Daydreaming. <laughs>